Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stay tuned to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, as we sit down with Dr. Joseph Piper to discuss his dream for this seminary and for all Christians in God's church. Afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. We've been away for a couple weeks dealing with the Spring Theology Conference and, of course, spring break for us students like myself who needed some time off. But we are back, and today we do have the pleasure of welcoming back into studio Dr. Joseph Piper. He is the president of Greenville Seminary, and recently at our Spring Theology Conference, right before the week started, we had uh, the uh, unique pleasure of having a wonderful dinner. And at that dinner, two of the uh, founders of the seminary uh, were present and gave some speeches, some lectures to talk about the beginning of the seminary, the first 25 years, and then to look forward to the next 25 years of the seminary and some plans and goals and, and in fact, dreams of where we'd like to see Greenville Seminary go. Dr. Piper gave an address at this dinner, and the title of the address was, in fact, I Have a Dream. So we do welcome Dr. Piper back to the studio, and glad to have you here again. And tell me a little bit about this title, this I Have a Dream, because I have to admit, when I first heard you say that at the dinner, and I was present, of course, I was a little, well, I don't know if confused was the right word, but I thought this ought to be interesting. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be back. Well, the board had asked Dr. Smith, this was a 25th anniversary banquet dinner, and we thank God for our first 25 years. The board asked Dr. Smith to talk about the origins of the seminary and for me to talk about the future. And so as I thought about what I wanted to see happen at the seminary, it took me back a few years ago when I was sitting in a small cafe in a small Wisconsin farming town eating breakfast, listening to the farmers talk. And they were talking, of course, about football and the price of corn and uh, farming and things around the community. And I was sitting there thinking how wonderful it would be to hear them talking about what they read that morning in the Bible, a Christian book they're reading, or, or the Sunday sermon. Mm-hmm. And so I, from that point, I've had this dream of that day when throughout our country— when uh, men and women get together in different contexts, that yes, they're going to talk about the football scores and the farming and their work, but it, it would be wonderful if when people were together that the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Scripture would always be kind of at the center of who, who we are. So I'm longing for that day when the gospel will really permeate our culture. For that to happen, we need revived and reformed churches, Hmm. God-centered worship, textual expository preaching, strong godly families, people living godly lives, seeking to honor Christ in their thinking, their lifestyle, vocation. We need churches with biblical church-based evangelism and discipleship. And that's not far-fetched. I told the story about uh, Baxter's ministry in Kidderminster. When he arrived, there were a handful of Christians in that village— of some 800 families. When he left, he said you could, there's not a street in the town you could not walk down and from house to house hear people singing the Psalms. So that's my dream. And that dream then relates to what I'd like to see happen at Greenville Seminary the next 25 years. Now, when you, you talk about this dream and you talk about it in relationship to the seminary, is it just for Greenville Seminary, or would you say this dream reaches way beyond even the the campus here in Taylor's and and maybe much further? And if that's the case, how would you see that happening? Well, the dream is for the Church of Jesus Christ throughout this land and and throughout the world. The way it relates to Greenville Seminary is our purpose is to provide godly pastors to the churches— and so it's the, um, 
the dream creates the need for the men that God would use to accomplish that. But I would, of course, I would love to see seminaries throughout our country providing the, the kind of men that would be necessary mm-hmm. to have this kind of reformation in the church. Yeah, and, and it's, like you, I, I share the same ideal. Um, it would be nice even amongst ref- the reform community to have this mentality that even on the Lord's Day, we don't talk about the football scores or the other types of things that you were talking about. But it's interesting that you frame this dream within the relationship of this seminary, and how would that be accomplished? Well, what I pointed out was that uh, the impact, if for the next 25 years we graduated 20 quality pastors a year, that would be 500 pastors, I guess, if my math is correct. 500 godly pastors committed to a biblical experimental Calvinism to textual, applicatory, earnest preaching. I just, my mind boggles, at, if God were gracious, at the effect that 500 men could have on the church mm-hmm. of the Lord Jesus Christ at home and around the world. Now, when you talk about experiential Calvinism, I got an email from one of the listeners, in fact, that um, asked me to help the guests explain some of their terms. Um, and, and, it's a, and it's a legitimate request right. um, because I know what you mean, and you certainly know what you mean. But there may be people listening that don't. They've heard that, that phrase thrown around in reform circles especially. What do you mean by that? That is a very good question. What we mean by that is that doctrine is never an end in itself. I mean, people make it an end in itself, but as it's revealed in the Bible, as it's expounded by some of the great teachers of the Bible, like Calvin or Girardeau or Dabney or or Thornwell or others, um, doctrine is always for the purpose that we would know God and love Him and serve Him. So it's truth that filters through to the heart, truth that drives and promotes piety. And that's really what we mean by experiential or experimental Calvinism. Mm -hmm. And how is Greenville Seminary working to accomplish that? We are seeking to keep a balance between very stringent academic qualifications, standards, teaching models in the classroom, but also even in the classroom, teaching things from a point of view of of service to God, of worship, that I see my teaching itself as an act of worship, dealing with truths practically, dealing with truths in a way that relate to men being in the ministry. What does this truth out of doctrine or church history have to do with being in the pastorate? And we do other things as well, though, as you know, to promote piety amongst our students. We, on campus, We ask our students each year to read through the Bible, use whatever Bible reading plan they want to. We have three chapels a week. Uh, On Tuesdays, we use guest ministers from the broader community. On Wednesdays, I do the chapel, wanting to pastor the students and faculty and staff and also to model uh, for them my uh, model of preaching. And on Thursdays, we have the faculty members, and then upper-level students preaching. Then on Fridays, the students meet in smaller groups with their uh, advisor for prayer. But also the ethos here of, of there's just amongst the students, again, you've come to me often, there's a, a mutual accountability, there's a desire for holiness, there's a, mm-hmm. a challenging with respect to integrity, with the Sabbath. And then we also want our students not just attending but involved in churches where they all there will enter into the full life of the church. We want men to guard their hearts, and we challenge them with respect to that. So we're, we wanted to see men come through here and graduate who really have a heart for God, a heart for godliness, and are well-equipped. Now, how certainly the seminary model, not so much, as much as Greenville Seminary does this, other seminaries as well would say that they're training ministers to go in and pastor churches to accomplish some of these same types of goals. How is it specifically oriented that the pastor is the one that needs to be trained to do these things? 
Well, if we believe that, as I do, that preaching is the primary means of grace, then the, the preaching philosophy is going to, or the preaching ministry is going to drive the church. But for that to be effective, the pastor must be well qualified, biblically, in terms of gift development, doctrinal knowledge, ability to communicate, but he must be godly. Mm. You cannot separate what a man says from who he is. He must be trained in how to be persuasive. But then he also is one amongst the other elders, but he's the one that's going to equip them, be their mentor, disciple and train elders. A congregation, normally we'll say it's kind of like the, excuse the, uh, the analogy, the cock in a, a tank on a commode. Mm-hmm. That controls the water level. A congregation normally does not rise higher than the the spiritual level of its elders, and the elders will not rise higher normally than the spiritual level of the pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, at this dinner, this was the well, I'd say the kickoff of the week where we had the Spring Theology Conference, and we commemorated Princeton Seminary, which um, at one time in history, as you well know. Uh, was the bastion of Reformed thought. It was conservative. It was everything that we would endeavor to be today, um, certainly in recent years, in, in more than recent years. It's, it, it's turned a, a corner in, the, in a negative way. Um, but the school here adopted the statement of purpose from Princeton. Why that statement? Why not come up with—why not draft their own? Why did the board feel as though this was a good enough model? And why not? Why didn't they just pick their own and rewrite it, reinvent the wheel, as it were? Okay. I think in the first podcast, we talked a bit about our being the grandchild of Mm -hmm. Princeton. Mm -hmm. And that's a self conscious thing. Uh, When Princeton was formed, it was one of three seminaries, the first three in North America. But it was the most reformed, and it had that commitment to a balance of academics, of preaching, and of piety. And so when one reads these statements of purpose, or the statement of purpose that adopted by the seminary in 1812, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Now, we have adjusted some to our own age and particular situation, but they really get to the heart of thing to Form men for gospel ministry who shall truly believe and cordially love and therefore endeavor to preach, propagate, and defend in its genuineness, simplicity, and fullness that system of religious belief and practice which is set forth in the Westminster Confession of Faith, Catechisms, and Historic Presbyterianism, or to provide the church with an adequate supply of, of and succession of able and faithful uh, New Covenant ministers. Uh, trained to preach, to furnish our congregations with enlightened, humbled, zealous pastors, to provide the church with men who can defend her faith against skeptics, to found a nursery for missionaries to the nations, which in my inaugural address 14 years ago this month, I pointed out that we wanted the seminary to follow Princeton in that particular role. Uh, to endeavor to produce a succession of men qualified with a variety of gifts suiting them to different stations in the church, yet all having the same apostolic spirit and commitment to see in men that piety that's so necessary to effective ministry, to promote and cultivate piety and learning. One of the ones I like is to lay the foundation of early and lasting friendships Mm -hmm. productive of confidence and mutual assistance in life among the ministers of the gospel. We do that not just with the men, but with the families as well. And so they're very important. And I, I personally, when I think about my dream, I think about these goals. I don't know a better way for seminary to be shaped to meet uh, the dream than to implement these goals. Taking us a little bit aside from the core discussion uh, this afternoon, I, I want to ask one question. Uh, in, in recent days, I would say maybe in the last 10 to 15 years, the the idea of a seminary education with the brick-and-mortar mentality has come into, well, for lack of a better word, come into question, uh, maybe 
has uh, been attacked from the, the standpoint of academia um, and that maybe this would be better served in the local church and having them train men there as opposed to sending them off, moving their families and whatnot. How has this seminary and how does your purpose and goals for the next 25 years seek to accomplish and maybe overturn some of those concerns? Because it seems to me that some of those concerns, are there's some legitimacy to that. But on the other hand, as a man who tried it that way and personally has now moved here, um, I see great value in being on campus. How in today's world, with the, um, with the advent of the Internet, um, distance education and, and those kinds of things, how does, how does that factor into your goals for the future? Well, distance education, particularly with the Internet and such, is becoming um, a significant factor in a lot of bachelor-level education. Universities have many programs But there are certain callings like ours, vocations, that are social in nature and need a social environment uh, for their training. You can learn to do business on a computer, maybe involve yourself in some chat rooms and things like that. There's different types of instruction. But the man who's most comfortable studying behind a computer on his own is not a man that's best equipped to be a pastor. Hmm. Ours is not simply a life of study, it's a life of shepherding the people of God. And so I'm all the more convinced, and we might do a, a subsequent program on my defense of uh, seminaries that I gave the address at the conference, but I'm all the more convinced that there is no better core way of training men for the ministry than the campus-based uh, training where you're interacting personally with f- your professors, but also with your other students. Now we also recognize that there is advantages in being in a church, and sometimes churches want the men to stay, not for financial reasons, but they really want the man there working and involved in planning a church. We just had a a graduate this year, Jeremiah Montgomery, who did that. They kept him at home. They paid him. Now he's been ordained by his presbytery even before he graduated, and he's doing a church plant for his home session. Another uh, newer student, Brad Pepos, doing the same thing. He's being paid to stay at home. So that they're financing his seminary, and he's uh, involved in, in helping them do church plants. We recognize that. We recognize that others with families are, at least temporarily, they can't sell their houses. So we know that the distance program is important, and in fact, when the faculty thought about uh, closing it down, we wrote the churches for advice, and we were asked not to do so. So it's important to the churches. Mm. It also picks up one of the older models of the, uh, of the mentorship of working under a pastor. But the problem with that model is the lack of resources, A, and B. If you study with one man, you get his eccentricities as well as his strengths. Mm-hmm. There's real benefit in combining our eccentricities. Sure. <laughs> and because we're all different. But so the distance student uh, has some of the advantages of the older program, but he has, we also expect him to be on campus for at least 24 hours. He can come in for uh, intensive courses and not even have to move. And so he's getting some of that. But even those that do that will tell you, uh, I really wish I could be here full time. I've never yet met a distance student who was on campus for a few days before he left, didn't say, I really wish I could be here. Now, they know in God's providence they can't. So we're trying, to, we're trying to make the best of a distance program, incorporate it with the resident model to the degree that we can. We also uh, communicate our classes live via the Internet. So we actually have students in the uh, video classrooms in the class. Professor sees them. They see the class. They enter into class discussion. And so those are the tools that we use but you cannot beat, as you've learned from your own experience, of, of being here. So, moreover, if you're going to run a distance program that's effective, you still have to have a library. You've got to have to have a faculty. 
one of the things we learned in the Princeton Conference was the necessity of specialization. Mm-hmm. And particularly today, if that was true 100 and 200 years ago, I mean, today, every area of systematics, church history, biblical studies, just constantly new stuff being produced, new challenges to be met that you need to be able to critique. And so we actually, you actually need faculty who are specialists, right. who have the time, are being paid not to pastor and teach an adjunct course, but are being paid to keep up with what's going on and prepare lectures that are current and dealing with uh, current issues as well. You need uh, a, a library then for these men. You need office space for these men. So really to run an effective distance program you're still going to have to have a campus-based program. That's right. Now, you said something that I think is important to emphasize, and and you didn't necessarily say this explicitly, but I think it's there anyhow. And as we press ahead and look to the next 25 years, because certainly the movements in technology, doing this podcast is an advancement over anything Princeton could have done, certainly. Um, but you made a comment about how the local church factors in, and how does the local church factor into what your dreams and goals are for the next 25 years as it pertains to the brick-and-mortar ide- um, ideology that we are currently under? Well, if, if by that you mean the local local church around the seminary, it's absolutely necessary. And one of the things that we are blessed with in Greenville, South Carolina, is that we have a lot, a large number of uh Presbyterian and Reformed churches, I would say more per capita than any town that I know of. And our students are involved in numbers of these different uh, churches. And so there's the opportunity to be in churches and to uh, get opportunities in where you yourself have had a a good many opportunities to teach, to lead prayer meeting, to lead worship, to exhort. And so we want our men in the churches, but we also want to listen to the church I think one of the reasons that seminaries have gone bad is that they can get to be a certain arrogance that we know what's right mm-hmm. and nobody else does. We have a, we're not really comfortable being uh, what I call a um, trans-denominational seminary. We don't like the word independent. We don't consider ourselves independent. But because of our strict confessional background, there's really not a denomination that we could we could be under in the days in which we live. Mm. But we have developed a program where we place ourselves under uh, sessions, for example. We have what we call um, sponsoring or supervising sessions. And those sessions enter into a written agreement with the seminary. And through that written agreement, we commit to giving them certain reports and accountability. When we have a uh, a review or accrediting visit, we invite them to send an elder to take part uh, in that review. So, for example, if we get different denominational reviews, we know that's happening. We'll invite the churches to send an elder. And then we also have a, a higher court oversight provision in the same document where we actually enter into a more even strict accountability relationship. And we have that with... Uh, Presbyterian, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We have that with the RCUS Synod. We're seeking to develop that with other uh, presbyteries and synods so that we actually, and those those bodies then actually place a man on our board mm-hmm. so that we have that kind of more direct uh, church supervision and accountability. We require all of our board members to be uh, ordained ruling elders in an approved Reformed denomination, just as we do that for our faculty members. But even when a church that's not a supporting church would write us and say, we're concerned about this or that, we don't ignore that. Mm. We look into it. We think about it. Or if we need advice, I mentioned the advice about the distance program, but we do that often. Uh, For part of the silver anniversary, uh, it was recommended that we consider having a cruise. I, my reaction is that's not who we are, but the best people to decide that would be our sessions that give us special oversight. So I wrote all those sessions and asked uh, their advice. 
Interestingly, it was about 50-50, so I don't quite know who we are. 50% <laughs> thought, no, it's not a good idea, and 50% thought it might be a well, good I know, idea. Well, I, I know where I would have been. Um, <laughs> I've been on a cruise and did not enjoy it very much. Um, if my poor wife is listening to this, um, she knows what I mean, but um, I'm glad we had the dinner. That was, to me, it was a lot better, but um, anyway, be that as it may. I, I think it's interesting because it, it sounds to me, and, and knowing by experience, that there is... The seminary is not in its its separate entity. Um, it, while we may not be, as you said, officially connected to any particular denomination, we are sensitive to the needs of the church, which is the true institution. The seminary is a means to an end. It's not the end of itself, and and it's here where the local churches send men to train and and go forward. Now, I've run a yeah, little. Let, let me just uh, sure, sure. follow up on that, Bill, because it's really important. And Dr. Smith brought this out in his address. Mm -hmm. The seminary has defined itself as an academy of the church and not as a graduate school. And we see ourselves in as the handmaiden of the church to assist the church and provide for the church that succession of qualified ministers. But because we're not a graduate school, we don't our, – our faculty, in addition to having special degrees in their area of experience, have to have had pastoral experience because we think only pastors can teach men how to be pastors. Right. So we very thoroughly define ourselves in that manner. Yeah, and, and I think that's important, and, and in fact it's a truth that um, each one of the professors here are in fact ordained ministers. And that has huge value in the classroom because we can ask those types of questions as it relates to theological issues and how would we relate this to people on a pastoral level. And so it ties those pieces all together very nicely. Now, in your address, you moved— um, kind of from where we've been, and you, you touched on the idea that this is not the time to sit back and uh, rest in our accomplishments to this point, but to recognize that um, there are things that have to be done, need to be done, and we need to go forward. And how would you propose that? All right, good question. Uh, I mentioned that in this 25th year, or beginning the 26th year, that it's been interesting in God's providence that we're actually going through some subtle changes, I think, of maturity in terms of the, the, the broader financial support that we have moved into, the number of students that are coming, little things. You know, we've just been able to finish doing our landscaping, which for four years we've been, been waiting for. So... It's kind of God is saying to us, we, you, you're, man, you're 25 years old now. You're no longer adolescents and, and uh, you know, it's simply young adults. You're coming to the, your greatest years of productivity. And so I see us entering into a time now of greater faithfulness and productivity, but that means that we have to be faithful and cannot uh, grow slack. So the things that we need to be addressing to accomplish the next 25 years to flesh out these goals. One is the matter of recruiting. There'll be men listening to us today that are thinking about seminary. In fact, I just had a man contact me earlier in the week that heard one of our podcasts and has been looking at us on the web. He's very interested in coming to Greenville Seminary. We're looking for not a lot of men. We're looking for godly gifted students like the Marines used to say, we still say, we want a few good men. To do this, we must partner with the churches. Again, back to the church. We want churches to be testing men, evaluating their gifts, sending men to us. And when they do that, we want churches willing to support those men, not just support us, but support men. Uh, there's things with the faculty. The faculty needs to embody in an increasing way the things that we want to inculcate in our students. Piety, confessional integrity, apparent giftedness in classroom, and pulpit. The faculty needs to have a, to be balanced examples of ministerial qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. So they must be godly, warm-hearted pastors, churchmen, defenders of the faith. They should exhibit a zeal for evangelism, missions, and discipleship, and never settle for status quo. But as I've said, May it be said of each one of us with respect to godliness, scholarship, teaching ability, and preaching that his progress is evident to all. The faculty also must be churchmen, 
We emphasize that with our students and with our faculty. We want them involved in the church courts. We want them involved as we are in helping congregations. We give counsel. We we do conferences. We do pulpit supply. We do elder and officer training, special and different different things. And so we uh, we want to work with the churches and help the church. We recognize, in fact, in my own conference ministry, I have stayed focused on our Reformed churches for the most part because mm-hmm. we recognize that if the seminary is going to prosper, our Reformed churches have to prosper. And so we pour ourselves into them. Then the same with staff. Uh, the faculty and the students need a staff that also embodies piety and demonstrates skill in their areas of responsibility. And so we want to create an environment where each staff person can become more proficient in his or her areas of responsibility. And I and senior staff members must continue to seek to develop new staff uh, with a goal that eventually we would have full-time staff person for support in every area of the life and work of the seminary. And, of course, the board of trustees must be fully committed to the purposes of the seminary. I've seen what happens when, in a seminary, the board of trustees doesn't share the same theological vision, say, as the faculty. And you get immediately then um, tension and difficulties. Um, As president of the board, I've taken opportunity to help the board develop and we want to continue to see the board develop then um, in qualifications and theological commitment, but also then the, the board must provide the environment for the faculty and staff to excel and students to develop according to the goals that we've, that we've set out. Let me interrupt you there just for a second because when you look at the history of other schools that have started well, gone for 25 years, as the case may be, and then have ended badly. Would you say that this one issue, the Board of Trustees, the governing body of the school, was largely to blame? I don't think one can generalize that uh, across the board. It would depend from place to place. Mm-hmm. So, But I would say that no school has gone bad uh, with a board that was was completely vigilant and on board doctrinally, yep. not on board because I'm from an important church or I give money. Greenville Seminary doesn't select board members that way. Mm-hmm. We're looking for men that understand theological education and have our theological commitments and a commitment to raising up churchmen. And in that, we got a variety of gifts then, and that between ruling elders and, and ministers and and people that do kind of fit all the different needs that we have. but So the board must be vigilant, and if they're not, then yes, that's one of the reasons the seminary go bad. I, one of the reasons is, the, is, a, is a faculty that begins to get more concerned about its uh, reputation uh, rather than the integrity of truth or becomes proud, loses the heart for piety. But you know, in Second Timothy 4, churches also can go bad by having uh, ears they want to have tickled, and God will give them ministers according to their uh, desires. Now, one of the things that we do a number of things with the board and faculty to keep us faithful. One is our annual subscription to all the doctrines and the standards. But, for example, in addition to what I've talked about already, the responsibility with the churches, accountability, Every time a faculty member now produces an article or a chapter, at least one board member is to, or a book, one board member is supposed to read that article, chapter, or book and give a report to the board mm. uh, about it, both in terms of its theological accuracy but its usefulness as well. Mm. That's good. And, and, and it is important to have that accountability. I mean, we don't even do theological – well, the reputable theological journals don't just publish articles – willy-nilly. But you think in the the last few years, uh, some leading uh, professors from seminaries have written books. uh, In those books, denied the uh, single authorship of Isaiah or suggested Mm -hmm. that Jonah was a myth or whatever, and you've got a board of faithful men, and is almost if nobody ever read the book. Right. 
Nothing was ever said until way too late. Yeah, and the damage is done. And it's out there, and now you got to do damage control, as it were. The reason I asked that question is because I've seen this board here and the commitment they have to the standards, to the confession, larger, shorter catechisms. And as you indicated, each year are required to sign their affirmation, their agreement with those items. Um, And that, as a student, I look at that, and and if they're behind that and we're being taught that, that's an encouragement, that Mm -hmm. I can press forward in that area. I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to step on their toes. I'm going to somehow offend them in any way. I can press forward with my studies and not be fearful as a man who might say, well, I don't take any exceptions to the confession. I uphold the confession. I'm behind it 100%. The board is, and I'm in a, in a safe place, as it were, right. in that way. And I think that's important. We're running short on time, I, I, but I do want to maybe press a couple of these things home on a practical note. If you get a, a man who says, you know, I, I, I'd love to come to seminary. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm called to do so. Um, how does these dreams you have for the church, really, because I, I think you could definitely press this, this, this idea, this dream that you have that you laid out um, very nicely, and I do think that was actually recorded, and I will confirm that and get that information out. But um, how does that affect the man or the family, wife, husband, who, okay, they're not going to go to seminary, but how do they? How can they help where they are? to do these things and see the church grow, the kingdom grow? Why well, an excellent question, Bill. Every individual Christian has a responsibility to uh, grow in holiness, as the Bible commands us in many places, be holy as I'm holy and as God is holy and, and pursue the sanctification without which no one should see the Lord, and you cannot divorce sanctification from knowledge. So, Part of my goal is that every church member uh, is a growing, godly Christian, uh, reading their Bible, praying, using the public and private means of grace, because the church is, as I say, it won't rise higher than its office bears, but the church is the people of God, and what's going to permeate the community are godly equipped people. So part of the vision is, is that these, that the it probably wasn't clear about that, but it's these pastors and elders are going to equip these people. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the the we're the preparers. It's the members of the church that are going to be having the impact on society. Moreover, we uh, we want to see men raised up as office bearers, ruling elders, and deacons, and we actually have programs as well to help churches in the training for those, and that can all be done through our distance education program. And then we want people to to be praying regularly for the seminary in their private devotions and family worship and in, in their churches, the prayer meeting and in corporate worship. And then as we mentioned a few weeks ago, because of our philosoph- philosophical commitment to raising 70% of our funds through uh, donors and not through tuition, then we are very dependent upon God through our churches and individuals then to support the work of the seminary. And God's blessing us with an ever-growing donor base, both in terms of churches and individuals. And some new things that we are working on are building scholarship funds, Mm -hmm. because again, there are those that want to come to seminary. I just got news today of, a, of another man in the distance program that's he's had to drop out because of, of work pressures. Uh, so part of the dream means that uh, we've got scholarships that we can help men with and that, the, as I said earlier, the churches, if a church believes that a man's called to the ministry, then they don't need to be sending their money to 55 different uh, missionaries around the world. They need to focus on a few mission programs, but focus on these men and take some of that mission money to support men for the for the ministry. So those are some of the things that, that people can do. Yeah, and it, it, in, in a lot of ways, going to seminary, um, and I can speak from personal experience, um, is a sacrifice. Um, and you and I think Dr. Curdo 
talked about this at, in, during his lecture at the conference, that it is a sacrifice. It is, it's a profitable sacrifice. It's not one that you look back and say, I wish I didn't do that. Um, I've yet to meet a person who said that. Um, but it is a sacrifice. It is a, it is a, it's a four-year laborious work hard enterprise um but it's a sacrifice in the at the end but it's not free in the sense that we don't we have to live we pay bills like everybody else and um you're right i think you know when churches identify a man to do this work they need to get behind it financially and 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 whatever that may mean however that may look um, it's going to look different to different churches in their search in their certain circumstances, um, and I know a number of us have that um, right. from our local churches, and it's a huge blessing. It takes the pressure off financially in some ways um, to allow the person to focus on studying and doing right. it because it is work. At the end of the day, we're working forty hours, fifty hours a week studying, and um, and I think Dr. Curto, as I indicated, mentioned that right. And you know. Um for the for our hearers today that are in churches that don't have a man at seminary, we, that's why we have now these uh, scholarship trust funds that we're building, so that uh, we have a, a application process, and we're able to. And I long for the day when any needy student uh, can uh, make application and uh, get scholarship aid. You know, we we do the same thing. We have the same commitment that. Uh, Bob Jones, Grove City, Hillsdale, we don't take any government money. We don't sign the compliance pledge. Our students, we wouldn't want them to take out student loans, but they couldn't anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of that, then we want to be able to position increasingly to uh, be able to help at least a little bit to take the edge off. You know, I teach a couple of classes this semester with third-year students, and that's probably second semester, third year is probably the hardest in terms of work load here at the seminary, and I think the faculty will probably address that uh, this summer, but um, I just, today in the preaching class, I had guys, they've just had two days with nine to nine hours, and that's the classes and preparation, and that's, that's, those are hard days, and so we do need to be able to free them up that I didn't worry about. I had one student took him to a meeting last night, and he works two 12-hour shifts Friday and Saturday mm. at a hospital. And he says, we barely make ends meet. And so, yeah, we want to be able to do more for our students. And you hear us are the ones that can really pitch in. We need you to give to the seminary so that we can uh, continue to uh, grow and meet our obligations. But if you've got a burden to help students, to put money into a trust fund that would make interest and that we would then distribute that and get in touch with us. Absolutely. Dr. Piper, in closing, how um, maybe we have a man out there who's feeling a sense that, you know, this is something I need to do. I need to go to seminary. I need to, what steps would you recommend they take initially? And then, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, initially, uh, I would encourage such a man to, uh, go to his local church and say, I, I, if, I'm assuming this, we're, we're picking up right here initially, asking uh, them to test his gifts to see if, in fact, he might have gifts uh, for ministry to interact with them, get there. When a man comes to Greenville, we will have people that are not sure they're called, but if a man thinks he's called, he's got to come to us. Well, any man has to come with the recommendation of his session, our church officers, whoever they might be called, whatever they might be called. But you start there getting your gifts uh, tested. You're looking for the internal call, which is desire, which is very important. But if the desire is from God, there's going to be uh, the kernel gifts, the seed form of gifts, and there's going to be a growing piety. And by gifts, ability uh, to uh, think and study, to think abstractly, to communicate truth to others so they can understand it. Some gifts and languages help. Um, <laughs> And so those are the kind of things that we're looking that we're looking for. Now, men that say are younger, and this is one of the things I'm hoping that increasingly we will see happen, I would love to be able to plug into more men who are in their university days or at college and encourage them, you know, don't get a business major uh, and don't get an uh, 
a drama major, a music major, an education major, get a classics major, a history major, and get as much Greek, Hebrew, and Latin as you can get at the, uh, at the college university level before you come here. Mm. Because uh, that is probably the biggest boon that our uh, forebears had over us is that classical education, and particularly in the areas of uh, Latin and Greek. If you had your Latin and Greek, then you could do your Hebrew in, in seminary a lot more easily as well. So mm. broad liberal arts education and uh, the languages. Now, if I'm talking to men that you don't have uh, a bachelor's degree, we still, with your churches and presbytery or governing bodies, uh, permission will bring you into the program, and you'll take all the courses everybody else takes. Uh, we don't let you take any shortcuts. Um, if We also have in that program that after you finish seminary with the Bachelor of Divinity and you got your, your BA or BS, then we would change your degree to a Master of Divinity. So we, we work with men where they are, but um, those, those would be some general answers to your question. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, uh, as we close... What's the uh, what's the landscape look like for this seminary for the next twenty five years? You, you you gave that speech. We had this, the Spring Theology Conference, and um, I was I personally I was there, present as I said, and I was energized by the things that I was hearing. Um, briefly, what if you could be a prophet, if as it were, and you could look twenty five years into the future? Where will the school be um, in your estimation? Well. All I know is that my desire and prayer is that in 25 years, we would have 100 resident students. would have had that for a number of years, graduating 20, 25 men a year. A very mature uh, faculty that are, are leaders in their field, but are godly men, uh, humble men, uh, churchmen, and a seminary. Now, if you really want me to, to step over the box, I got a lot of other dreams as well in terms of uh, eventually uh, buying property around the seminary, getting houses. One of the things, uh, w when we go back to trying to endow a chair in the name of Dr. Smith, in the name of Dr. Singer, we started that process before we, we got into the building and we backed off for the time being. But what we were doing, and it was a brilliant idea that I got from one of our donors, or he and I kind of... I guess work it out together, but uh, rather than put the money in the market, we were buying houses and then renting those houses to students at below market. So we're helping the students who got regular income uh, from the house, mm -hmm. and that's how we were going to endow the chairs. So we'll go back to buying houses. Uh, one of the ways to accomplish the goal of having a really ready trained ministry would be. I would eventually someday, I don't know if the board would want this or not, this is just pipe of dreaming, uh, I'd like to have a, uh, a two-year finishing college where uh, uh, men and women could come, but particularly the men that wanted to go to seminary and uh, get that classics education using a lot of our own professors and the people locally uh, in philosophy, rhetoric, logic, uh, Latin, Greek and Hebrew, uh, history, and get that uh, BA uh, at that level, and then move into this, which would become a three-year program. So actually in five years, they would have their BA and their Master of Divinity, and boy, would we have a well-trained uh, ministry. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like a, it sounds like some pretty lofty goals. Um, hopefully I won't be around here anyway to see those happen. I hope I will be. <laughs> you you may be. I hope to be graduated by then and um and and gone um working diligently elsewhere, but um anyway, it is exciting um as we've had the opportunity in the last couple of weeks to reflect back on the first 25 years and and coming up in the next couple of weeks, in fact, Dr. Smith is going to be on um, so that's a program note for those of you who are curious as to what's coming up on this program. Um, Dr. Smith, um, that's Morton Smith, will be on to talk about the first 25 years and how it started. And um, he gave an excellent uh, talk at the dinner as well, very energizing um, to hear some of the stories and things that happened. But it's exciting to think of what the Lord may do in the next 25 years, at the same time, recognizing that he must do it. 
Right. And, and I think everybody's in agreement with that, realizing that um, it, it's sad to see great seminaries start great and end badly. And I think we're very conscious of that reality and knowing that it just seems like that's what happens. And knowing why it happened is often the first start to avoiding it and knowing what our history is and avoiding the mistakes. And I think we've, we've talked a lot about those things today. And I think we, we want to, as I understand the school, uh, is seeking very diligently uh, to avoid those, those pitfalls in the future. But it is exciting to see what's coming down the road. So, Dr. Piper, I do thank you again. And for, then in a couple of weeks, we're going to do the program on uh, yes, Paul's um, uh, hermeneutic for women's ordination. Yeah, another programming note for those who are writing this down on their calendar and can't wait um, for us to talk about that. Um, Yes, we are going to have uh, Dr. Piper back on um, in the next few weeks to discuss what he just said, uh, women's ordination, that whole hermeneutical, exegetical debate that just continues to go on in the Church uh, for reasons that escape me completely. But be that as it may, it's an issue. And this podcast is not just, um, as one listener uh, intimated to me recently, that it's an advertisement for the school. It is an advertisement for the school. I'll say it out loud. You've heard me say it. It's, but it's not just that. And uh, we have consciously decided that our first few broadcasts were going to be centered around how the seminary works, what, what it does, why we're here, um, to try to lay some groundwork before we get into some more heavy theological slash practical issues, because those are coming. I can assure you they're on the drawing board. One of them is, in the next few weeks, is going to be on this issue of women's ordination and uh, why it's still an issue. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the issues around that as well as other things. So stay tuned to this podcast. We do have some interesting discussions in the future. Dr. Piper, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Enjoyed being here today. Appreciate it. You've been listening to a discussion with, as you've heard, with Dr. Joseph Piper. He's the president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, uh, has been here for 14 years. And, um, has helped steer the school through some, some some difficult times and into some very good and prosperous times, as you've heard already discussed today. As he said, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have Dr. Morton Smith on to talk about the first 25 years and then some very exciting things coming up in the future. As usual, you can get all this information at our website. It's gpts.edu. That's uh, GPTS for simply Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Dot edu. If you have any questions or comments, you can write us at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. So until two weeks, when we have Dr. Smith on to talk about the first 25 years of the school, we thank you for listening to this particular edition, and God bless. <laughs>